We want to welcome all those that are watching via live stream as well. Thank you for tuning in each and every week. We know hundreds of you are doing that. Uh, let us know if you're being blessed by the services. And please also, if you are a part of a one group, really, really, really get involved in taking care of the needs of people. This is what we're talking about, right? The church, being the church. And so I want to encourage you uh, to actually... Uh, Sign up to be a, a group that will take a, a basket and, um, and, and, and be a part of reaching out to a family. That would be incredible. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14. After I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them, your enemies. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and Fight for your families. Fight for your sons and fight for your daughters, your wives, and your homes. This morning, I want to continue my series entitled Building Deeper Relationships. And in the past several weeks, we have discovered that God never intended relationships to be disposable. That if we're going to have deep relationships, we're going to have to be intentional about our relationships and that we've got to really be careful about holding on to offenses because when we hold on to offenses, it builds a fence between us and other people. And we need to learn how to walk with people that are experiencing pain in their lives. And, and then we began to look at and unpackage what is agape love and the need for a love that goes deeper than eros, goes deeper than storge or phileo. It is a love that never fails. And we unpackaged two definitions a couple of weeks ago of what love is. Love is kind and patient. And then Pastor Henry, who always does a fabulous job, he talked about what love is not. But this morning, I want to talk to you about the people of Israel and what they faced when it came to protecting their family and fighting for their family. You see, the truth is Nehemiah wasn't actually there to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah was there to help to rebuild the family of God. Somebody say amen. If you read the book of Ezra, you'll see that before they could ever rebuild the temple or before they can ever rebuild the walls, they had to rebuild the family. In fact, if you read through Ezra and Nehemiah, they were both contemporaries and they were both sent back to Jerusalem to bring reformation to the people of Israel, to reform a nation. And so they were used by God to speak to the people. And Ezra said, before we can ever rebuild the house of God, we've got to build your houses again. We've got to rebuild the family. And so Nehemiah now comes on the scene, and he's more of the governor. And he's leading the people now into national security. And he's talking about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, and he said, before you can ever rebuild the walls of security so that you make sure that you keep your enemies out, you have to make sure that you rebuild your home so that you can keep Jesus in. Somebody say amen. Glory to God. And Ezra and Nehemiah would have 
gathered the people of Israel together and have them, listen to me, repent of their sins for neglecting and destroying their families. And if you recall, the people of Israel were in captivity for 70 years and they come back to Jerusalem and the people of Israel had actually intermarried with foreigners and their families were dysfunctional. Their marriages were in disarray and their children were confused and discouraged and many of them were rebellious. They were confused because the family was in disarray. You know, just a few days ago, I, I actually, last week, I, I spoke in, in North Carolina because we, have, um, we, we are supporting an adolescent teen challenge, North Carolina Boys Academy, for boys that are of the ages of 12 to 17 that really just have lost it. They have no discipline in their life. They're a mess. They're on drugs. And this Boys Academy actually embraces these young men. And so I was on the radio last Saturday morning, and it just struck me. We were talking about fatherlessness in America. And it, and it just broke my heart when I thought about that we have a fatherless nation today. And I, I started jotting down while I was actually talking on the radio. I was jotting down the things that I need to implement at Bethlehem Assembly of God when it comes to really raising up godly men, raising up godly fathers, raising up godly husbands, raising up young men who understand that their identity is found in God and there's a seed of greatness on the inside and that they can change our nation. We can change things in America one family at a time somebody say amen glory to God hallelujah and I, I was traveling back home from North Carolina and I went into one of those shops where they have souvenirs and gum and you know that kind of stuff in the airport and I noticed Time Magazine and the cover I want you to get it this month the cover of Time Magazine it broke my heart was a picture of a young lady she's a, an adolescent a teenager and there's an article in there, you need to read it, about adolescence, depression, and anxiety. And that there are millions of young people that are struggling today with depression and anxiety. Never before in the history of America have we found so many teenagers that are struggling with anxiety and depression. Because they live in a post-9-11 country. They live in a post 9-11 world where they have to face things that we didn't ever have to face before. And as a result of that, many of them are walking around like walking zombies. They're on medication. Why? Because they're depressed and they're anxious because they don't feel they have a future. But we need to look at young people straight in their eyes and we need to tell them that their salvation is found in Jesus Christ and that God has a future for them. Young person, God has a future for you. And let me tell you, the church and Christians have weathered a lot worse things in this world than what we're seeing today. I know we get all panicky about what we see in the news and we say, Jesus is coming back. You know, it's so funny how we really believe it's so audacious and arrogant to think that just because something is going a little bit wrong in our country, Jesus is coming back. As if Jesus' timetable revolves around America. Come on, somebody.
Jesus is going to come back when he comes back. But here's what I know. He's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. He's coming back for a strong church, a strong church that knows their God, a strong church that's the light of the world and the salt of the earth. He's coming back for a strong group of young people who are non-compromising in their walk with God. They've got strength on the inside, and when they get anxious and when they get depressed, they know where to go. Come on. I'm so glad that when I was a teenager, I was filled with anxiety and depression, my mother showed me where to go, right to the foot of the cross and pray it through and know that God is never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's always going to be there for you. You see, I want to tell you that, you know, as I watched everything unfold this week, I kept on saying to myself that the truth of the matter is the answer is not in the White House. It's in your house. The answer for our country is not in the White House. It's in your house. I want you to say that with me, though. The answer to this country is not in the White House. It's in my house. It's in my home. So I I don't know how you voted. And whoever you voted for is a Christian. But remember, America was never built on the White House. It was built on your house, on my house, on our parents' house, on our ancestors' house, on the church house, and the families that made up this great nation. Somebody say amen. Amen. Families that loved each other deeply. Families that respected each other. Families that worshiped together. Families that prayed together. Families that stayed together. Families that worked together to build deep relationships. Families that were deeply committed to God and the Bible. Families that were healthier and marriages that once were stronger. This country was founded and built on the back of family. And that's what I want to talk to you about for a few moments. Building deeper family relationships. Because let me tell you, as I watch things unfold this week, I feel like we might miss it. Because in the midst of who we wanted to be elected and what we wanted to happen, we're going to miss what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. And what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church, listen to me, what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church is we've got to make the family stronger. If we're going to make America great again, it will be because our families are strong again. You see, the devil has always tried to destroy the family. And and listen, I need a lot of grace this morning. Because I know some of you are thinking, well, why is he using this and why is he saying that? Just give me grace today. And, and, And let me just, please, let me just put it out there right now. I'm going to tell you from the bottom of my heart. The answer is not Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. The answer is in the family. It is Jesus Christ. So if I use the term make our families great again, it's because Donald Trump is not going to make our families great again. He's not going to make this country great again. We are going to make this country great again. And our families are going to make this country great again. It's up to you. It's up to me to make this family and this home and this country great again. Don't misunderstand anything I say. Give me a lot of grace today. So don't read anything between the lines. What was he trying to do? I purposely wore gray today. Gray, you get it? Not red, not blue, but gray. 
And the enemy has always tried to destroy the family. Right from the beginning, God creates a marriage. And the enemy gets right in between the marriage. God creates a family. And the enemy gets right in between two brothers and tempts the one to kill the other. And the truth is, today the family is under attack like never before. There are forces that are working against our family and society. There are economic forces. There are social forces. There are spiritual forces. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against prowess and principalities and wickedness in high places. Listen to me. Your husband's not your enemy. Your wife is not your enemy. Your kids are not like you're not. They're not your enemy. They may look a little bit like you, but they're not your enemy. The devil's your enemy. Come on, somebody say amen. Glory to God. And the truth is, there is a breakdown of the family in our culture today. And why does the devil work overtime against the family? Because the family is where we learn how to relate to one another. You know, we've been talking about building deeper relationships. And the Holy Spirit showed me this week that you can never have healthy relationships outside first of the family. It begins there. As a child, I learned how to trust people in the family. As a child, I learned how to love people when I have to live in the same room with my brother, Felix and Oscar. And I have to learn, and guess who was Oscar? God bless my brother Frankie. It's in the family that we learn how to unconditionally love each other. It's in the family that we learn how to communicate. It's in the family that we learn how to have patience with one another. It's in the family that we learn how to work together. So when that's good and that's healthy and that's strong and it's working right, then we can be propelled into college and into our adulthood and we can say, this is how I work as a team. This is how I can learn how to be patient with other people. It's the laboratory which by which we really learn how to have deep relationships in our life. And when the family is wrong, when it's off, when it's dysfunctional, when it's fractured, then we learn how to live dysfunctional as adults. You get it? You understand? how? In, I'm just telling you, that's how important the family is. Now, I don't know anybody in this room, including myself, that grew up in a totally perfect family. There were a lot of things about my family that was dysfunctional. That as a Christian, 19 years old, I gave my life to Christ that I had to work through so much stuff because my family was dysfunctional. Even though my mother loved Jesus with all her heart, when the father's not there, listen to me, I'm just telling you, I'm going to tell you from my own experience, when he's not there, a lot of things happen. Just a lot of negative things happen. When daddy's not there, when daddy's not there to protect, when daddy's not there to, to give a child a sense of security and love, when daddy's not there to pray for their children, man, the young man grows up with insecurities and fears and anger. He doesn't know what to do. So I needed some spiritual daddies in my life to show me. And I thank God that there's still hope even when you grow up in a dysfunctional home. There's hope. Why? Because there should be in the church men of God who will pour into the lives of young men and say, this is the way that you do it. Watch me and learn. 
This is the way that a, 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 a grown man can love a young man in such a way that he would pour his life into that young man in such a godly way to show them this is how to be a godly husband. This is how to be a godly father. I thank God along the way that there were godly people in my life. I tell, I've been talking about John Hale. John Hale was my Sunday school teacher when I was 13 years old and I didn't have a dad and I was messed up and I didn't know what it was to be a man. I didn't know what it was to be a Christian young person. But John Hale, a Sunday school teacher, he took me under his wing. He was a tough, brawny, strong man, a man's man. He took me under his wing and we used to go fishing together and he used to talk into my life. He used to pull me out. He knew that I needed a daddy. He knew I needed a spiritual father. And he used to pull me along the side after Sunday school. How are you doing, Steve? What's going on in your life? I am indebted to that man. Because that man pulled me through the tough times of my life. And I would encourage you, men of God in this place, rise up. Find a young man in the church and begin to pour your life into them. There is one group of people that I never turned down. You know, I was in North Carolina and I was missing my church so bad last week. I hate being away from my church. I promise you, I hate being away from my church. I love that. I, while I was away, I was, how's it going? What's going on there? What's going on with the and then I missed the Veterans Day last week, and Pastor Tony did such a fabulous job. And, and it's not in any way to, to make you think that I'm better than the other pastors. They're, they're much, they make me look really good. I just miss being here at my home church. But there's one group of people that I will never turn down I will do everything in my power to make sure that I can show up for that. And that's a group of young men, young ladies who need an older man to speak into their life. And that's what we need today. We need strong Christian men who've already gone through it to, to pull alongside a young man and say, I can show you. I can tell you God's been faithful. But let me go on because this is important. And so <clears throat> when our relationships are good then we know how to relate to one another in the family. The family is a place where we are supposed to experience a sense of security, where the world, when the world is cruel, when the world is cold and frightful, when the world is hostile, when the world doesn't care, we should be able to come home and experience love. We should be able to come home and experience unity. We should be able to come home and experience compassion and understanding and peace and kindness and stability. But when the, the family's in turmoil, when the family is unstable, when the family is hostile, a child, a teenager, a family member feels vulnerable and anxious and fearful and alone at times and hopeless. Never in the history of America have we ever seen a, a culture of adolescents that are so depressed and fearful. Think about this for a moment. The United States has gone through great depressions. The United States has gone through world, world wars. And yet today, more than ever before, young people feel more discouraged and depressed and anxious. We have more than we've ever had in this country. And it's not, it's not because we don't have financial stability. It's because... We don't have stability in the home. Because even though the world was attacking the rest of the world in World War II, there was still a sense that when I come home, I can experience peace. 
when I come home, I can know that it's okay because daddy is reading the Bible. And daddy tells me that God is in control. Even when everything else is out of control, daddy is on his knees praying. And as long as daddy's on his knees praying, as long as daddy's on his knees praying, I know everything's going to be okay. As long as daddy's loving mommy, I know that everything's going to be okay. As long as we put our faith and trust in God and we believe that God is a sovereign God and the word of God is the word of God and even though the foundations of the world will be shaken, the foundations of God and the foundations of my life and the foundations of my security and the foundations of my peace, as long as it is in the Prince of Peace, I have nothing to fear. But if I can't get it at home, then where can I get it? Get it? That's why we have gangs all over this country today because they're looking for, listen to me, they're looking for a family. That's why we've got gangs in Hempstead. We've got gangs all over Long Island today because they're just simply looking for a father. They're looking for a family. And this is where we can, as the church, we can shine the brightest. Listen to me. When our world around us becomes darker, we become brighter. Hallelujah. When it becomes crueler, we become more kinder. When it becomes hostile, we become more loving. When it becomes more taking, we become more giving. Come on, somebody. This is a great time for the church to rise up and be the church. Hallelujah. It's a known fact that when kids don't have a strong family life, they're more likely to have sex before marriage. They're more likely to experience drug abuse, self-harm, join a gang, commit suicide, struggle with alcoholism, deal with depression, battle with anxiety. When the family's in turmoil, but you see, when the family learns how to get together and really be the family, even though the world seems to be out of control, when the family's in control, it brings incredible stability. And the quality of the family life influences every other part of our life. You know, surveys tell us the greatest source of happiness in life always is found in the family. It's not found in money. It's not found in business. The greatest source of happiness is found in the family. Surveys also tell us, surveys says... That the greatest source of frustration and disappointment in people's lives is dealing with family problems. We all have problems. How many of you have problems? Turn to your neighbor and say, you got a lot of problems. But every one of us in this room are a part of a family. Every one of us. Even if you're single, you're still part of a family. You've always been a part of a family. You'll always be a part of a family. In fact, we're a part of several families. For some of us, we're part of blended families. Some of us, we're a part of extended, extended, extended families. You can't get all of my cousins and aunts and uncles in one room any longer. I've got so many family members. And the truth is, you didn't have a chance in the matter. God has designed the family as the basis of all society. And while you didn't have a choice sometimes of choosing your family members, you have a choice in what you're going to do about it. And as the family goes, so the communities go. And as the community goes, so the state goes. And as the state goes, so our nation goes. 
Gary Oliver, PhD. You know what PhD means, right? You know what PhD means. He has a PhD. Papa had dough. You may be surprised to learn that there is a clear pattern to the rise and fall of great societies such as Rome, Greece, and Egypt. When they were at the peak of their power and prosperity, the family was strong and highly valued. However, when family life became weak, when the family was not valued, when they began to value things rather than relationships, when society became extremely individualistic, the society began to deteriorate and eventually fall apart. So today, quickly, let me give you a few ways which we can build deeper relationships in the family. Take your, take your smartphone out. Go ahead and go on Facebook, which I am not on for a couple of days at least because I am so disappointed about how Christians are getting on Facebook and using words and vocabulary and language and hatred against one another. I, I unplugged it. I said, I can't see this any longer. It ought not to be, church. But number one, strong, healthy families are Christ-centered families. And so let me ask you a question today, Dad, and think about it. Think, think about it before you answer or before you nod your head or before you say, preach it, pastor. Is your family a Christ-centered family? I'm not only talking about you. But have you done your job in making sure that Christ is the center of your family? I know that sometimes we say, Pastor Steve, don't make the men feel bad. Well, you should only feel bad if you're living bad. But the truth of the matter is, is that the only way that we're going to truly have healthy families is when we know who's in the center of our family. So you've got to ask yourself the question. Are you really making Christ the center of your family? You know, God said to the people of Israel, and it's just like where we are as a nation right now. Listen to me. Listen to me. Here's what he said. Deuteronomy 8. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. <laughs> praise the good Lord for America. Come on, somebody. Say, I thank God for America. How many of you are thankful for America? Come on. Is this still the greatest nation in all the world? And nobody should burn the flag. Come on, somebody. You burn the flag, go find another country and burn that flag and go live in that country. I mean, you're mad at somebody? Fine. But don't be mad. At, don't take it out on the flag. Because we're thankful for the... I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to, to the republic for which it stands. One nation under God. When you have eaten and, and you are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I am giving. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied and when you build your fine houses and settle down, does that sound like us? Is that, is that, is that America? Is that the American Christian today? Henry, is that the American Christian today? And you fail to observe his commands, his laws that I have given you. Otherwise, when, you, when your herds and your flocks grow large and silver and gold increases and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud 
and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that in the end you might, it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. God forbid America or any president or any leader would say, we did it because we didn't do it. God did it. God bless America. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. So what are you building your family on? Jesus said, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice like a wise man who built his house on the rock, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fail because its foundation was on the rock. And you know what the rock is? The rock is the word of God. So are we really building our families on the word of God? Are we practicing? Do we know the word of God? In fact, I want to tell you as the pastor that, that I think I've failed in some ways to really put in place some really great Bible teaching classes for you. Now, I know we've got some, but we're moving toward, listen to me, we're moving towards as a church. Remember when we had Sunday school? We'd go to Sunday school and then we'd have service. And there was systematic Bible study. We're going back to that. Not Sunday school. But on Wednesday night, we're going back to Grow University, where we're going to study the word, know the word, so that we can know how to build our families on God's word, not on our interpretations of what we think it should say, but on the firm word of God. That is the solid rock. How many of you are with me today? Number two, strong families have a deep commitment to each other. Every family goes through tough times, and every family has disagreements and disappointments and ups and downs. But what sets a strong, healthy family apart from a weak family is the commitment that we have, listen to me, to stay together no matter what happens. It's called, listen to me, it's called covenant families. Covenant families. Now, I know that we don't always get it right. And I know that there's a lot of pain in this room and maybe those that are watching because of divorce and I'm not here in any way to judge you but I am here to tell you today is the first day of a of, of a new life for you in covenant living that wherever you are today however you find yourself today today's the first day of covenant living for you and what is a covenant a covenant's not a contract See, we write contracts so that if the other party fails to deliver on their end of the contract, we can get out. But that's not a covenant. A covenant is not based on the other person. A covenant is based on what you promise and you vow for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, for pasta fazul, for curry goat or none till the day I die. Listen to me. That is the secret. Listen to me. That is the secret to strong, deep families. Because you see, if I have this idea that somehow I can get out, 
I have this idea that somehow I can walk away. I have this idea that somehow, listen, let me not put all of my eggs in this one basket because if it doesn't work out, I'll find another basket. Then you know what? The devil will always give you, the world will always give you, your wife, your husband will always give you a reason to leave the basket and find another basket. But when you say and you are resolved, God knows what he's doing when he said, let no man put asunder. He knows exactly why. Because there are going to be days when you want to run. There are going to be days when you want to get out. There are going to be days when you want to quit. There are going to be days when you want to give up. But then you say, but I made a vow. I made a commitment. I made a promise to God first. And I made a promise to my spouse. And I made a promise to my children that I'm not walking out when times get hard. But I'm working it out. Come on. I'm not walking out. I'm working it out hallelujah and if you got two people who say that then anything can happen glory to God it's covenant living we're deeply committed to each other we're deeply committed to the covenant relationship strong families are built on covenants that's why God said in Malachi you know that's the Italian book of the Bible Malachi 215 didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? He wants godly children from that union. So guard your heart and remain loyal to your wife of the youth. He says, he says didn't God bring you together in a covenant? And, and why did God bring us together in covenant living? Because only in covenant living, listen to me, only in covenant living, our children can feel secure enough because they're never going to be afraid daddy's walking out. Please, give me some grace this morning as I talk to you. Because I know some of you are hurting even while I'm saying this today. But until we can know the truth and understand the truth, we can't ever get healthy. And so God wants us to make covenants for a lifetime. For better, for worse. My son, my daughter, he knows daddy's not walking out. For better, for worse, my son, my daughter knows mommy's not walking out. There's, there's, there's a sense of security there. Now, I'm not talking about just staying together even though you hate each other. Listen to me. God's not saying just stay together even though you hate each other. He says stay together and love each other. Hallelujah. Work it out. Go to the foot of the cross. Ask God to forgive you. Ask God to give you strength and mercy and grace. And ask God to help you to get through this situation in your life. I'm not talking about remaining miserable. I'm talking about changing. You see, because if we can change, then our world can change. Our country can change when families change. I'm, it, it's coming, man. Rocky's coming. If we could change it. No, I'm just kidding. covenant relationship begins with a spiritual act of being knit together and the two shall become one covenant relationship begin and grows by making and keeping that covenant the purpose of a covenant is to guarantee that that relationship will remain healthy and will last covenant relationship begins with a generous soul attitude the generous soul gives not only what is valuable and suitable to the relationship but also asks what is honorable a generous soul attitude causes both people to pour out affirmation and encouragement and words of greatness. It quickly promotes the other person over self. All relationships grow when there is a generous soul attitude that is present 
covenant relationship grows and stays healthy as we protect the relationship. Every relationship will have times of testing and stretching and problems. However, we must handle these pressures wisely and successfully as we maintain true covenant relationship. We need to consistently protect the relationship by being faithful at all times. Listen to me. In word, in our heart, in our attitudes, in our actions. We must remain faithful in our heart first because from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Listen to me. What this country needs is fathers and mothers who will say and demonstrate as long as we live, we will unceasingly be committed to our family through hard times, through pain, through struggles, adversity, rain, darkness, ups and downs, we will be committed. Because when we are committed, then strong families emerge out of that sense of security and unity. Number three, strong families spend time together. There's a war going on right now for your time. And strong families just make the time. Dads and moms, just, they, just, they just do it. I can't tell you how many times I hear dads at the end of their life say, man, if there's one thing I could change, I would just spend more time with my kids. Dads, you have young children. Dad, you have a, a young boy right there. What a great picture. I don't want to embarrass you too much, but I'm going to stand up right now. Stand up. Look at this picture right here. Look at this picture. Turn around. This dad. Look at him. It's amazing. This dad has his arms around his young boy as his young boy is listening to the pastor preach. He's not falling asleep. He doesn't have an iPad in his hand. He's not fidgeting around. He's not being disrespectful. He's not saying, Daddy, I want to leave. He's listening intently. Come, give that man a young, young man a big hand. That is amazing. That's what we need right there in America. That's it. Strong families are filled with mutual honor and respect and love. Listen to me. I think what we have lost today in America, listen to me, is honor and respect. There was a time when elderly gentlemen walked into the room and young men stood up. You know, I, I went to North Carolina Boys Academy. And when I walked into that room, 22 young men stood to their feet. I was humbled by it. I said, sit down. Why are you, what, what, why are you getting up? Because John Steigwald is teaching young men how to, again, be respectful. Because listen to me. Think about it. Respect builds great relationships. When I don't respect you, I don't listen to you. When I don't listen to you, I have miscommunication. And there are two women that you have to avoid in your life, miscommunication and misunderstanding. And when I don't respect you, I don't think you have anything worthy to say. And that's the problem with our world today. That's the problem with Facebook is we put our stuff on and we want people to respect us, but we're not willing to listen. This week, I went out to lunch with a, a Latino Spanish pastor. Well, I'll tell you, it was Pastor Hector. And I said, Pastor Hector, tell me how the Latino community is feeling right now. I need to know that. He said, there's a lot of fear in the Latino community today. And he said, Pastor, you, you see... 
See, and, and, and I didn't understand all of this, but he said, you know, there's a lot of Latinos. They, they leave their country. They flee from their country because there's no work. They're under dictatorship sometimes. They're just under a disarray of situations, and they, they sell everything to come to America, everything. And they come here, and they're here trying to survive. And there's such a great fear today that they're going to be just deported. Now, there's a right way and there's a wrong way, huh? Is that true? So I said that to, I said that to Pastor Hector. I said, Pastor Hector, but there's a right way. My, my mom and dad were immigrants. I'm the son of an immigrant. And he said, but you know, back then, it was a little easier than it is today. Tell me about that. Tell me about Not making excuses, but just tell me a little bit more so I can understand. You see, when we respect each other, we listen to each other. And listen what the Bible says. Listen, this is very important. Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, and Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior now as the church submits to Christ. So also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Notice, notice the key thing here, that first we submit to Christ. As, listen, as the church submits to Christ. So as I submit to Christ, I'm going to love my wife. She's not going to have a hard time submitting to me. That's what it says, Ephesians Chapter 5, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Listen to me. I'm going to tell you now in a world, in a society that's changing roles, I want to tell you that Ephesians chapter 5 says the man should be the head of the home. But listen to me. When the man loves his wife enough to take out the servant's towel and serve and love and adore his wife with all of his heart, his wife would never have a problem submitting to him because his wife knows this man loves me. He's willing to take a bullet for me. He's willing to die for me. He's willing to sacrifice. He's willing to serve me and love me. Listen to me. Jesus, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And yet when he came to this earth, he demonstrated what servant leadership is about. He died on the cross. He took out the towel and served us. And so what does a man of God do? He serves his wife. He loves his wife. He gets on his knees and he does everything he needs to do as a servant for his wife. And his wife comes alongside and says, my man loves me. Hallelujah. Why wouldn't I want to submit to this man? He loves me with all of his heart. Don't make it hard. Listen to me, dad, husband, don't make it hard for your wife to submit to her, to you. Don't exasperate her. We have dads. You guys got to be kidding me. Well, I'm the man of the house. You need to submit to me. But you don't care for your family. You don't love your family. You don't spend time with your family. You don't really provide what they need. But I'm the man of the house. Well, then if you're the man of the house, pull up your pants and do your job. And if you do your job, your wives will love you. They will adore you. They will bless you. They will honor you. They will, they will, they will, they will, they will. Come on, somebody. <laughs> mm. 
In the same way, husband ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and cared for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are the members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you, you also must love your wife as he loved himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And children, here it is, and children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you. I'm going to stop right there because we like the other part, that I might have a long life. No, you honor your father and your mother, and it will go well with you. I love my children, but every once in a while, and I'm not going to give you names, but every once in a while, one of my child says, well, she's your favorite. How many of you get that? <laughs> and, I, and I inform this wonderful child who is my favorite because I only have three favorites. I tell her, so I'll give you a hint. It's not a boy. I say, you know, it may look like she's my favorite, but you see, when I tell her to do something, she's compliant, she listens, she obeys, so I tell her to do something, I smile, she smiles, it feels good, we feel good, we get along. But if I tell you something, you give me a hard time, I'm not smiling, you're not smiling, we're not getting along, and it looks like she's my favorite. Come on, somebody! Hello! Hello! Turn to your neighbor and say, that's good. This is awesome. This is a, an awesome description. Ephesians 5 is an awesome description of, of what honor and respect looks like. And lastly, strong, strong families deal with conflict quickly and forgive continually. They, they are a forgiving family, a forgiving family. Thank you. Are you, you, you better stop whistling at me. I tell you, you're going to get in trouble with my wife. They're a forgiving family. So let me suggest to you as the worship team comes this morning, it's time to come to the foot of the cross and ask God to forgive us for the bitterness and the unforgiveness that we're harboring a holding towards somebody in our family. No, you say everything's good. Is it really good? Everything's okay, man. Is it really okay, man? Or is there something you need to kind of ask the Lord to show you today that you're holding on to? toward your husband or your wife or your kids. Dad, maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I, I let things go. I, I don't hold on to things. But you have, you have had in the past or maybe today expectations for your son. And because he has not met your expectations, there is a sense of bitterness or unforgiveness or a sense of dissatisfaction towards your son and he feels it he sees it in the way you pull away from him 
the way you disrespect him because you don't tell him that he's special dad maybe there's a daughter in this room that disappointed you she did something before it's time and you're so disappointed now you cannot look at that person in their face and tell them that you still love them because you see let me let me give you one more strong families are affirming families affirming families and everyone needs to be affirmed and blessed the old testament is a beautiful picture of what's called the blessing where a father would literally bless his son and the blessing were words that were spoken over the son son you are my firstborn son i bless you with everything that i have son may you be blessed may you know the prosperity of god in your life may you have a long life son one day you will rise up to do great things hallelujah and i'm telling you today the power of affirmation the power of the blessing the power of speaking words over our family are so powerful i'm 54 years old december the 10th don't forget i'm 54 years old and my children are not perfect they're far from perfect but i gotta tell you one thing i'm living out i'm living out the blessed life because when they were little and even today i can't tell you how many times i text my daughters text them that's what they that's what they read <laughs> new form of communication my daughter Janine is in Missouri she's 20 hours away man she's as close as the next text that I send her Janine I just want to let you know you're blessed and daddy's proud of you no matter what you do in your life know this one thing daddy's always going to be there for you and no matter what Julia's going through, daddy pulls out his phone. I, I wish I could show you some of the texts that my daughter Julia sent me last night, late last night. And I sent back to her. We have this thing, love you, love you more. No, love you more, 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 more. And my, my sweet daughter Jenna, which at the end of the month, I'm driving all the way back to Missouri with a U-Haul. Where she's coming home, hallelujah. I'm so blessed to have her come back home. She's in Missouri State. She was going to college. She decided it's still good to be in daddy's home. I like that. But that takes a lifetime. It takes a lifetime of affirmation. It takes a lifetime of letting your kids know, even when they disappoint you, that you believe with all your heart that there is a seed of greatness on the inside. When my little girls were little, I used to always say, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait. They said, Daddy, Daddy, for what? I can't wait to see the great things that you're going to do in your lifetime. And now I'm 54 years old, and I get to see the great things that they're doing in their lifetime. Strong families are families of affirmation. I want you to stand to your feet right now. Nehemiah, Nehemiah said to the people of Israel, fight for your family. He said, fight for your family. How do you fight for your family? You fight for your family while you stand for your family. 
You stand for your family by saying, I'm going to be here. I'm standing for the family. I still believe in the family. How many of you still believe in the family? How many believe the family is the most important thing in society? Come on, somebody. We believe in the family. Come on, say with me. I believe in the family. I believe in the family. You have faith for your family. You have faith when no one else has faith, even when your children don't have faith, when your husband doesn't have faith. You stand firm and you say, by faith, I know that my family's going to be okay. Hallelujah. You fight for your family. You pray for your family. You never, ever give up praying for your family. You pray for your family. Henry, you pray for your family. You never stop praying for your family. You pray for your family. You never stop praying for your family. I want all the men of God in this room. I want all the men of God in this room that are standing for their family to get out of your seat right now and stand with me right here. Come on, all the men right now, you're going to stand for your family. You're a grandfather. You come and stand for your family. You're a, a husband. You're a man of God. You're a young person. You say, when I get married, I'm going to stand for my family. You get out of your seat. You stand for your family. You might be a single in this room, but you've got a mom and you've got a dad and you've got siblings. You're going to stand for your family. Hallelujah. God showed me that I have to stand for my family. I'm not just talking about my children. I'm talking about my brother and his children. I'm talking about my sister and her children. I'm talking about my mother and my, my, my nephew. I'm talking about everyone in my family. And so I call them up all the time. I have to do it. I call up my brother. Get him on the phone. I call up my sister. Get him on the phone. I want you to know I'm standing for you. I want you to know I'm standing behind you. I want you to know I'm praying for you. You know why? Because Jesus is going to make our families great again. Donald Trump's not going to make our families great again. And Hillary Clinton's not going to make our family. And no one else that we put in the White House, Jesus is going to make our families great again. Hallelujah! Would you raise your hands right now with me? Jesus, I pray for these men of God here today. Lord, they're human beings. And they're subjected to temptation. And there are some days that they feel like, God, the temptation is so great. And Lord, they're human beings and they're subject to discouragement. When they look at their children, and they think, are they ever going to come back to God? They're subjected to discouragement. God, I pray you lift them out of that discouragement. And they would see their children with the eyes of faith. Hallelujah. And they would believe for their family with the eyes of faith, oh God. Lord, I pray that they would be strong men of God. And they would fight for their family. Men, fight for your family. Men, fight for your family. Stand for your family and pray for your family. And God will bless your family. And God will bless America. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would bind us together as a church, Lord, with cords that cannot be easily broken, Father. And Lord, touch our hearts today, Lord, and help us never to forget, Lord, that in Christ,
we trust you are a solid rock in jesus name i pray and everyone said give the lord a clap offering give somebody a hug on the way out i love you don't forget god has a plan for your life and it's big i love you